0: Well, good, morning. good morning. Turning your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4. It's printed in the bulletin, too. We're going to look at Ephesians 4, verses 17 to 24. But first, here's one of the more common pieces of advice you'll ever hear. I guarantee you've heard this before. Follow your heart. You've heard that plenty of times, I'm sure. People say it to friends, you hear it in songs and movies. It's one of those things that always seems appropriate and encouraging. And if you, don't, if you don't know what advice to give, you can always tell people to follow their hearts. It's kind of, it kind of works that way. But as well-intentioned as that advice might be, if you, do, if you hit pause and think about it for a minute, it's actually kind of dangerous advice. I mean, after all, you don't know what's in somebody else's heart. Sure, that advice might nudge them into something profoundly beautiful, but you might just as easily be encouraging them to do something profoundly destructive or foolish. And we all know our hearts, our minds, our souls, our thoughts, our ideas, our imaginations, those things are not always healthy. They're not always reliable. They're not always good. Human beings are capable of wonderful things. And we think of, uh, you know, the beauties of of love and of engineering and of art and technology and the written word, and I mean, we can go on and on. But it's not only good that comes out of us. We read about atrocities around the world every day. We've all experienced atrocities in some of our human relationships. And we've all done terrible things to other people. I mean, there's been many times, I'm sure, where you thought, that uh, you were doing something so helpful, but it, it only turned out actually to make things worse. I mean, I've experienced that more times than I would ever care to admit. So, if you really consider the human heart, then you know all too well that just, they are, that human hearts are just as capable of great evil as they are of great good. So, follow your heart might not actually turn out to be very good advice in the end. So then what what are we supposed to do? What are we supposed to follow? If we shouldn't follow our hearts, then what should we follow? Let's read what the Apostle Paul says in Ephesians chapter 4, beginning at verse 17. Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do, in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So, it jumps right off the page at you. In these verses, the Apostle Paul is contrasting two ways to live. The first way is what he calls the old self. And if you look at, just look at verses 18 and 19 for a second. And just look at just some of the specific words that he uses to describe the old self. Futile, darkened, alienated, ignorant, hardness, callous, sensual, greedy, impure. These words are a sharp rebuke to anyone who trusts their heart without having also a good, healthy dose of discernment and even skepticism. It's a naive way to live as if me being me is always a good thing. What the Apostle Paul is describing here is that it's actually, a, if we, if you really think about it, it's a hypocritical and deceived way to live. This mindset claims to be wise, shrewd, and discerning, but it's not. You trick yourself, and then what's really interesting is then we want to, we, try, we have this impulse to try to pass on our wisdom to other people. We'll even go so far as to evangelize others With the good news of our own wisdom, listen. We say, if you just follow my advice. But the the reality is that we're far more darkened, confused, calloused, and close-minded than we'd like to admit. That's the former manner of life, he says. That's the way you used to be. Notice this keyword. Look at verse twenty-two. Notice it's a really interesting keyword. Jumps off the page. Put off your old self. It doesn't say your old actions your old ways it's deeper than that it's deeper than our actions deeper than our thoughts and our loves he's describing uh, something more than just a change in our practices it's not eat this not that for the soul you know he's talking about being a different self an entirely new kind of person have you experienced that kind of revolution of the soul if you have not If if you don't know that kind of change, the bad news here is that according to what the Apostle Paul writes here in Ephesians, you are still living in this old self pattern of futility. If that's you, then the very first thing that you need to learn from this passage is you, you need to learn that you shouldn't trust yourself. It's not safe. You need to move beyond your own shady, shaky wisdom and gain true understanding from God. You need a new self. That's the first thing that somebody should learn when they read this passage. Notice however, that the Apostle Paul is not writing mainly to unbelievers in this passage. He's addressing Christians. Look at verse 20. That is not the way you learned Christ he says. These are people who had already learned the wisdom of God found in Jesus, but they're forgetful. They've reverted back to their own wisdom and understanding. They're not as careful about their lives as they once were. Without even thinking about it or even really noticing, they're sliding back into old habits. I'm sure that every Christian here knows what that's like. It's hard work to keep from doing this. However, even though we can probably relate to what he says here, the truth is we really need to be reminded of this. We need to be reminded that we need this. Because as soon as the pastor gets up there and starts to preach a sermon about change we can instantly think of a dozen people who we wish we were here oh man I wish I wish they were here today I mean, see we're fully convinced that others need to change the question is are we convinced that we need to change most often, we're, we're actually fundamentally satisfied with our relationships, our marriage, our family, our work, our recreation, or at least we're satisfied with our part in those things. If there's discord, if there's any lack of meaning or fulfillment or joy, then it's my wife's fault. It's my boss's fault. It's my parents' fault. It's my friend's fault. It's far more challenging to believe that we need to change, that I do, we tend to think either too highly of ourselves or too lowly. Sometimes we feel arrogant and believe that we're doing just fine, thank you, and we don't really need to change. Other times, we, feel, we, we despair, we feel too low, and we think that change is impossible. But here is the Apostle Paul. He comes along and he says, Change is absolutely necessary. You will remain in darkened futility without it. And at the same time, he's calling you to a change that is absolutely possible thanks to the saving work of Jesus Christ. The outcome of this supernatural change that he's describing is an entirely new self. Okay. That's kind of introduction to these verses here. We're going to, let me, let me take just a minute to have an aside here. Here's a short aside. The way this passage describes faith, especially Christianity, I think would be surprising and even backwards seeming to our culture. Imagine if you stopped uh, someone on the street and described two ways of thinking, one that's dark and calloused and futile, and the other one is renewed and true and good, and you ask them, which one of those is the life of faith? Which one is Christianity? Which one do you think they would choose? I mean, most people think of Christianity as a closing of the mind, living in what one writer described as a shallow fantasy world divorced from the solid truths of real life. Of course, that's true of some Christians. We're not going to deny it. Uh, And of course it's true. We know because the Apostle Paul had to write this to Christians. So we know that that's true of some Christians. But what the Apostle Paul is actually saying here is that genuine Christianity real Christianity a real life of faith is actually an opening of the mind what we're talking about here is a heart and a mind that are open to a wider range of insight and imagination than would ever be possible apart from faith if you doubt that if you say no I just can't see Christianity as anything but closed mindedness just seems, if Christianity seems darkened and foolish to you then my suggestion is go home And read just this one book read just the book of Ephesians try that one it's very short it will probably only take you about 20 20 minutes to read it straight through but read it with this question is the apostle Paul calling his readers to a dull closed mindedness or is he challenging them throughout this book to think more to think differently and to think better I suspect you'll be surprised at the depth and the breadth and the thoughtfulness of genuine Christianity. But go home, have a look, and correct me if you think I have it wrong. Let me know what you find. I'd love to grab coffee. We can talk about it, and I'd love to hear what you think about the, uh, the, the kind of faith the Apostle Paul describes in the book of Ephesians. That's the aside. Back to the passage. We're supposed to put off the old self and put on the new self, according to this passage. We need to be renewed in mind and heart. So how do we do that? Let's look at three different ways in which we do that. Here's the first one. We need to learn to discern between spiritual darkness and spiritual light. We need to learn how to tell the difference between spiritual darkness And spiritual light. The difference between them is not intuitive. You can't trust your instincts, trust your heart, because as we've noted already, our hearts, our instincts are unreliable. Our intuition about these kinds of things is broken. So consider how you'd answer these questions What is spiritual darkness? What is spiritual light? What voices are trustworthy in spiritual matters? And which ones are not? How would you answer that question? Which of my desires, the deep down ones, the non negotiables, which of my desires are spiritually healthy? And which ones are not? And here's a good question. Where are the places that I'm cutting corners spiritually? Where are the places that I'm I'm cutting corners and taking shortcuts? Spiritually. We really don't ask ourselves questions like that very often, I think. Uh, not, in our, not in our culture. If, if you ask questions like that a lot, I think you're quite the outlier. Um, but we should. We should ask ourselves questions like that all the time. And don't be deceived by first appearances. Don't be deceived. Dig deeper. Keep looking. Don't just jot down the first thing that comes to mind. Have you ever read the classic novel, Treasure Island?, Or maybe you've seen the movie, you know, the one that stars the Muppets. (laughs) In that story, young young Jim Hawkins receives a clear and simple warning from a dying man. Beware the one-legged man. However, when Jim Hawkins meets a one-legged man, the very first one-legged man that he meets, he's completely unconcerned. After all, this guy seems... Harmless, Even kind. I mean, he literally says, after all, he's only a cook, right? But that one-legged man turns out to be the most fearsome and treacherous pirate, Long John Silver. Jim Hawkins is completely deceived by his first impressions. In fact, he's quite happy that Long John Silver is along for the voyage. He confides great secrets to him, and however... Later, when Long John Silver's true self is revealed, Jim and everyone on the ship pays for that naive trust in this treacherous pirate. Don't trust your first impressions. Beware the things that greed and lust and fear and anger whisper into your ear. Sin always makes grand, huge promises. Listen, if you do this, If you make this one little compromise, if you believe this one little lie, then you'll have everything you want. But all sin, all sin is pretend wisdom. It's fake wisdom. It's darkness, blindness, and hard heartedness, only pretending to be something good. That's what sin is. That is not the way you learned Christ, the Apostle Paul says. We learned how the kingdom of God works from Jesus himself none of it looks quite how we would expect it to. The first and the last change places. The strong become weak. If you want to save your life, you must lose it. And I mean, of all things, it turns out that the poor in spirit, the mourners, the meek and hungry, the merciful and the pure, the peacemakers and the persecuted, they're the ones who will outlast everyone else. The foolishness of God brings the wisdom of this world to its knees. The kingdom of God so often appears to work backward to us. But the kingdom of God isn't backward. We are. We're the ones who've drifted. We've become darkened and blind and hard-hearted and futile and alienated and ignorant and hard and callous. The kingdom of God is none of those things. We need to reorient ourselves to it We need to relearn the difference between spiritual darkness and spiritual light. So how do we do that? This is our second point. Don't trust your instincts. Train your instincts. Don't trust your instincts. Train your instincts. Where do our instincts come from? We need to know how we get instincts before we can train them. Our instincts really come from two places. The first is that they are habits learned by practice, developed and reinforced over time. If you want to train your instincts, you need to start asking yourself a lot of questions. We've already asked ourselves a lot of questions. Here's a bunch more. This is this is a hard work. It it takes a lot of questions. Question your choices. Why do I do this? When did I start doing it? Where did I get the idea that this is a good thing to do? Is it really good? And ask that about everything in your life ask that about brushing your teeth that's the kind of level where you have to drill way down to really begin to discern spiritual darkness and light to, to stop trusting your instincts to begin training your instincts you need to question your thoughts why do I think that where did I learn that idea is that true and how do I know it's true you need to start questioning your desires why do I want these particular things why do I value them over other things what do I really hope for what do I think will really make me happy how often do you ask yourself questions like that the Bible has a ton of things to say about these questions so start digging in look at yourself and then look what the Bible says compare the two search for true wisdom don't trust your instincts train them so often we wish that we could change all at once just wave the magic wand and everything that's wrong in us is sorted out but we we know that that's not usually how it works most often we change incrementally almost imperceptibly after thousands upon thousands of repetitions I remember watching last summer at the Olympic archery events. I couldn't believe how well they shot. They're shooting a 48-inch target from 70 meters away. I read that at that distance, the 48-inch target, that's four feet, that seems like a big target. But at that distance, the, the target looks like the size of a thumbtack to the shooter. The gold bullseye on that target is five inches wide and is difficult to even see at 70 meters. Now, I couldn't even hit the 48 inch target at that distance. And these Olympic archers are hitting the bullseye on most of their shots. I just couldn't, I was watching this and I couldn't believe it. How do Olympic archers become that good? Too often we believe the Disney myth that people who are truly good at stuff can just pick up a bow and arrow, or a paintbrush, or a sword and shield, or a guitar. And they just sit down and they can just sit down and write and they magically know how to do all of these things because they have the gift. That's a Disney myth. There's nothing about that is true. Even the archers who have the most incredible natural ability can only become Olympians like that after they've fired hundreds of thousands of arrows, hundreds of thousands of arrows. That's how our heart was originally shaped by hundreds of thousands of little choices and thoughts and desires. And that's one of the ways that we put off the old self and put on the new by taking every thought captive in obedience to Christ. Every thought, that's a lot of thoughts. That's hundreds of thousands of thoughts. Following Jesus is a calling that reaches everything, every single part of our lives. He wants to change your every thought, your choices, your desires, until all of them are good and healthy and constructive and free from the chains of sin. That's the work that he's doing. But that's only the first way that our instincts are shaped. We get instincts from a second place, too. We're hardwired certain ways. We're born that way. And the roots of our, lo- our heart's loves go so deep that I hate to break it, but there's no way that you can dig down and pull them all up and replant them. Training our instincts ultimately demands more from us than we can give. So what should we do about that? Here's the third thing. And this sounds so simple. Maybe it is. Look at Jesus. Look at him look at him and then look at him again and keep looking at him and don't stop looking at Jesus we need to discern spiritual darkness and light we need to train our instincts we need to put off the old self and put on the new but the reality is we can't do any of those things on our own we have to keep looking at Jesus look at verse 24 verse 24 says put on the new self Created after the likeness of God in righteousness and holiness. After the likeness of God. This whole passage is teaching us about the process of what it means to become like Jesus. When you learn learn Christ, your old self begins to die and a new self begins to grow. And while the one withers and fades, the other one quietly grows in the background you might notice that you begin to think a little bit differently now and you talk and you're talking maybe even your walk changes we begin to wish new things for ourselves we begin to wish new things for other people the kingdom of God so often does the, the opposite of what we expect and this slow change in us is no different right now right now moment by moment, our bodies are inescapably aging and we will inevitably deteriorate, ultimately returning to the dust from which we were created. But even as that inevitable process moves forward, if you are in Christ, you are even now being renewed, rebuilt, retrained, and reoriented. Do you see the shape of what the Apostle Paul describes here? It's amazing. We're used to everything in our lives, everything in the whole world, moving in one direction from new to old. That's the only trajectory that we know. But look at the trajectory of this passage. In the kingdom of Christ, the trajectory is from the old man to the new one. If God has given you eyes to see, you'll see that in the midst of this world of suffering and death, Jesus is at work. He is bringing light into darkness, and He is making the deserts of our parched souls bloom with flowers. It's quiet, it's subtle, but even now, He is reversing the curse. The curse sent us on this trajectory from new to old, and He has turned it backwards. We are moving, in Christ, we are moving from old man to new one. Sin's stain is being scrubbed away. The resurrection has already begun. We have seen new life. And Jesus is even now beginning the renewal of everything. He has begun it of all places. Of all the absurdities, he has begun the new world in us in the resurrection of our souls with the promise that our bodies will follow can you believe it can you believe that jesus is at work in his people moving them from old to new as you as you put off as you strive to follow him as you as you work to put off the old man and put on the new the key is to trust him trust that he will keep his word trust that he will f- fulfill his promises that That he will finish the process that he's begun, both in us and around us. Trust Jesus. Follow his example. He is the pattern of the new creation. Keep looking at Jesus. And by God's grace and in his time, one day we will be like him. Yearn for that day. Strive for that day. Rest and wait patiently for that day. And even now, even right now, rejoice in that day. Thanks be to God. Amen.